Mozbear here welcome to another episode of the Crick Talk 20 podcast today i have the pleasure of chatting with the cricketing nomad Cobus Olivier as he talks to me about his cricketing career and the adventures he's had as a first class cricketer and a cricketing administrator so without further ado let's give a warm welcome to Cobus on the podcast Hi good morning Mo good morning Cobus welcome back thank you how are you doing today A uh, very good thanks a lot more much more uh, it's a, it's a much better day in Kiev but a sunshine today that's nice um, to hear so i i think if, if i think officially summer is now starting in in ukraine fantastic we had a very sunny day today it was really good weather today and no, no, we we as i said yesterday we've had an absolute miserable um, uh winter in, in ukraine but at least i think now i can get my i can start to get my cricket program off the ground fantastic cobus and with that we begin today's show everybody i have cobus olivier for part 2 we had a fantastic chat yesterday and we're going to continue what we where we left off yesterday so cobus are you ready for the questions today yes yes i'm 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 ready thank you very much mo you can fire away um cobus uh, i believe you are you are like an unofficial 12th man in the 1994 South Africa tour of England how did you become an unofficial 12th man and uh, that was the first uh, test for South Africa after readmission right no yes yes that was the first tour uh, back to England of after after the apartheid sort of ban on South African cricket and how was it um, how did you become the unofficial 12th man in that series Well, it's actually a story. I'm not too proud of how it happened because um, it's not very professional. But um, yeah, I think uh, club cricket. You know, I told you yesterday. I had about 11 seasons in in the UK as a, as a club professional. Uh, the clubs were all allowed the one overseas professional in the side. So I had 11 seasons. I played mostly uh, down south in the Kent and Sussex leagues, and uh, I was about. I think it was about my fifth or sixth season as a as an overseas pro. and then uh, the south africans came to tour and as we as i told you yesterday i, I had a very good friendship with uh, darrell cullinan and i knew craig matthews and the sort of western province guys in the side very well having played with and against them in cape town so i was uh, playing for my club and then the south africans arrived and uh, they won that first test at lords when uh, kepler got the 100 and uh, it was a three test series and i thought yes i mean this is an opportunity i can't miss you know this is a once in a lifetime i can always play uh, cricket again but to see the south african team playing the next two tests uh, but but i was signed into a contract uh, with my club at the time down in sussex so yeah. uh, i did something that uh, i i don't i actually don't tell my students now but i i pretended to pull a hamstring and uh, <laughs> i told i contacted the club uh, chairman and i said listen i've got terrible news i've i've pulled a hammy quite badly and uh, i'm actually going to go down to london i've got a friend there that and that's true i've got a friend that's a physio that was down in london so i said i'm going to spend the next uh, two so to see if, I, i think i've tore the hamstring right off and i'm going to spend uh, probably about two to three weeks down in london and get regular physio with this guy and he'll do it for free So I got out of my club commitments but I mean I only missed about three games uh because we 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 sort of only played on the weekend in the club leagues but I then uh went and joined up with Darrell and uh, they were just leaving London after the Lord's test and 
I said to Daryl, listen, mate, I want to come and watch you guys play the, the next two tests. They were playing at, at um, uh, the Oval and at Headingley. So I said, uh, if it's okay with you, if I some nights I can squat in, in your room, I can sleep on the floor. And if you've got a big game the next day, uh, obviously you don't want me on the floor there. So I'll ask one of the newspaper reporters from Cape Town, John Freudenberg, was a good friend of mine. And he also offered that I could sleep on the floor in his room. So in between Daryl and, and John Freudenberg's rooms, I, I had free accommodation. And then uh, if you don't mind throwing some balls, you can actually travel. I'll speak to Kepler, who is the captain, and you can throw some balls to the guys. Because I used to throw a lot of balls to Daryl down in Cape Town. We often had nets together. So I ended up uh, with the team on staying in the you know, I knew Brian McMillan very well as well. So uh, I was staying with the team in the hotel and then uh, used to get on the team bus to Nets and, and to and, and to the actual test and, and uh, warm-up matches that they played. I would be traveling with the team on the team bus. So I, I got to know the guys very, very well and I, I had a wonderful experience. Oh, that's fantastic. So do you have any memories from that series, like anything that's... Um, a specific innings that you watched that left an impact on you, an impression? No, no I tell you, it wasn't only on, on that series. This innings that Daryl Cullinan played at the Oval, when, what we could call the Devon Malcolm test, with yeah. Devon uh, nine wickets. Uh, he got one wicket in the first innings and he picked up nine in the second innings. And Daryl scored the 94 and Daryl was the only one that didn't get out to Devon Malcolm. Uh, Darren Goff got him out it's actually quite a nice story. After the test, um, Darren Goff was so impressed that he, he gave Daryl his uh, England cap and England sweater. And Daryl later then gave it to me to donate to Mr. Shambatia's museum where I put my cricket books as well in Dubai. So um, okay. <clears throat> that innings was an absolute. I, I think it's not only in that series. That is probably one of the outstanding innings as I've seen in, in my time in crew, watching cricket and the game. Uh, it was just phenomenal that that um, the sort of the night before, after the first innings, South Africa's innings, in the first innings, Malcolm hit uh, Jonty on the head and he was genuinely quick and that oval wicket, you know, it's, it's quite, it's a, it's a, it's sort of very, very good wicket for fast bowlers to bowl on. It gives them a lot of assistance, bounce and, and uh, Malcolm was, was genuinely quick and he only, he got, he hit Jonty on the head and he only picked up one to Kirsten Brothers that was also quite interesting. It was the first test ever and the only test where the two Kirsten brothers, Peter and uh, Gary, opened the batting together for South Africa. Okay. But the, the, the test before, uh, the two tests before, uh, old, um, uh, Andrew Hudson failed four times. He just couldn't score a run. So he had four low scores in a row. And then South Africa brought in Daryl for the last test. They won that first test at Lords and then at, at uh, Tenbridge, it was a draw, and that's when uh, Peter Kirsten got his only 100 ever in Test cricket. I think he was already 37 years old. He was the sixth oldest batter ever to score 100 in a Test. So, um, and, and that was a draw. So South Africa were up 1-0 uh, in the series with one Test to go. And then after that first innings, um, the two Kirstens both got out for, for uh, single figures, the two openers. And that evening, I went out with the players, and we went. They went for a bit of a drink and a chat. And uh, I, I never forget. Gary was saying, uh, "Guys, this Malcolm in the second innings, he's going to be the the 
the danger player. He's going to be the bowler we've got to watch. He said, I've, I've never faced pace like, like that guy bowled today. That's the quickest uh, bowling I've faced. And Daryl, I, I could see Gary was sort of, you know, also I would almost say psyching himself out of it. And then that second innings, Devon Malcolm, uh, uh, South Africa with three wickets down for one run. Hansi got batted at three, he got a duck. Um, one of the Kirstens got one. I think Gary got uh, Gary got a duck and Peter got one. So there were three wickets down for one run. And then Daryl came in to bat in his f- first and only test in the series. And uh, Daryl just played uh, absolute one of the best test innings as I've ever seen. Uh, he got the 94. South Africa were all out for about 170 odd. And... Uh, um, and, and, and then the series was, a, uh, you know, drawn one one all. But that was probably, as I said, Daryl just looked as if he was batting on a different wicket. You know, the other guys uh, were jumping around, getting hit, and uh, Malcolm was just unplayable. And Daryl was playing as if he was playing cricket in the park. <laughs> he made it look so easy. Oh, that must have been one hell of an innings, mate. Yeah, no, uh, and, and I still think, I mean, we spoke a bit about Daryl yesterday, but uh, Daryl was just a phenomenal player. If, if you look at his average, is is uh, 44 point something. It's just about 45, the same as Gary Kirsten, and Daryl played 70 tests. And his, his average against Australia, because of that one thing that everybody knows about, is only 12. So if you take yeah. the Australian average and the test out of it, um, Daryl would have had an average of over 50, which would put him right up with the greats. Yeah, he's one of the best. Actually, did you know that um, in one of the provincial games in South Africa, Daryl hit a six and it landed in a barbecue grill and they had to stop the game for a couple of, uh, couple of minutes. That's the only time that the game has been stopped with such an incident. It's one of those uh, trivias for Daryl Kadunan. Yeah, yes, yes. And also, you know, Daryl got the, for, at one stage, he had the highest uh, score in domestic cricket. He, he, he scored, um, I think he was playing for Northern, uh, for Transvaal against Northern Transvaal, and he got the highest first class score in South Africa. Uh, and then uh, Jimmy Cook's son, Stephen Cook, broke the record a couple of years ago. And also, Daryl at one stage had the, he broke uh, Graham Pollock's record, the 275. He got he got uh, a, the biggest South African Test score against New Zealand in a Test, and uh, and then Gary Gary matched that, and then Amla obviously uh, broke the record uh, during during his playing career. But but Daryl was just a phenomenal cricketer, um, and he was he was absolutely lovely to watch. That's right. Um, after your first class uh, career in England, um, you you became the director of uh, University of Cape Town at a pretty young age. Um, was that after your cricketing days, or were you still playing as a cricketer, or how did that happen? Tell us a little bit more about your time at the University of Cape Town. Yeah, no, uh, I, um, the way this is quite a funny story. How I actually got the job. Um, I was still playing. I was playing first first league club cricket in, in Cape Town. Uh, I think I was playing for Greenpoint at the time, opening the batting. And uh, I became very good friends with, with Emerson Trotman, the, the ex-West Indian cricketer that came out on the Rebel Tour to South Africa. And Trotty at the time was the head coach at, at the University of Cape Town. <laughs> and I'll never forget it. I was actually on the beach uh, at Camps Bay Beach. And... Uh, I got a call from Trotty and he said, Kuvis, listen, we, we're interviewing today 
the final, they had over, over like 120 applications for the position as director of cricket at, at the University of Cape Town. And he said they've, they've got the final five guys are doing the interviews right now. Uh, election uh, committee, which uh, consisted of about six people, the head of sport at UCT, the head of the student uh, committee, student sports committee, uh, Professor John Simpson, who was the head of the UCT uh, Sports Council, and uh, two other members of the sports department. So it is a very serious and, and uh, process. And he said these guys are getting interviewed at the moment. Two of them flew in. Stone. The one was already a sports administrator at, uh, at, at Rhodes University and they had another one from Grahamstown and one guy flew in from Natal, from Durban for the interviews. He said, but I spoke to Professor Simpson and uh, I, I told him about you and that I would love to work with you because the coach would work very closely with the director of cricket, obviously. And he said, Professor Simpson said, if you rush over and you're in time, you could, they, 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 they're quite happy to interview you. So I... I was on the beach and uh, I rushed home. I liked, uh, I had a little uh, beach cottage actually at the time. I lived in a, what they call the beach bungalow in Clifton next to uh, Camps Bay. So I quickly went home, uh, never looked in the mirror. I just grabbed my suit and uh, I actually grabbed my suit and put it in the car. And I changed outside at the University of Cape Town where they had the interviews. Uh, I sat in my car outside and I quickly changed, got my swimming costume off and uh, got into my suit and I put a tie on and I ran inside. I had no CV with me, nothing. And uh, the, I literally made it by about five minutes. As I sat the literally five minutes uh, after I got the, the, the guy before me, the, 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 the last of the five guys that were interviewed walked out and uh, they called me in. And as I walked into the room, the whole selection panel, they all just looked at me and they burst out laughing. And I thought, you know, what, what's so funny? Is there something wrong with my suit? Or, and then uh, Professor Simpson, and that sort of set the tone for the interview. Uh, he was a lovely man. He had a wonderful sense of humor and he was passionate about cricket. And he asked me, he said, well, have you just walked off the cricket field or, or off the beach? And I said, off the beach? But uh, why do you ask me, prof, uh, Professor? And he says, well, if you, your nose, you forgot to take the sunscreen off. And my whole nose, like <laughs> Alan Donald in those days, remember with the white nose. Oh, uh, yeah, with a typical trademark white version of the I mean, Donald actually got sponsored by that company that, that, that manufactured the zinc. So uh, I had this in my suit, everything, and I had my nose all covered in white, white zinc. So that set the tone. It, everyone laughed and it broke the ice. And then uh, nobody really asked me any questions. Uh, I was with Prof uh, me and Professor Simpson just started talking cricket. And I told him I've been praying in England and I told him some stories. And it was very much telling him just about my playing career because and, and teaching. I taught for two weeks uh, before I got that job in, uh, you, you know, I, I, I went to play professional cricket. So I had no experience whatsoever, but I, I had the qualification. I had a, a sports degree, BA, uh, first ed degree. And I did my interview and I spoke to Prof Simpson for about one hour. I was in there for a very long time and we just were talking about cricket. And I left and Trotty phoned me and said, how did the interview go? And I said, no, Trotty, I had a lovely chat. And me and Prof Simpson had a wonderful chat about cricket. But, uh, I mean, nobody even asked me any questions about the job. So I've got no chance. And literally about four days later, I got a call and they asked me to come. Uh, I had to go and see Professor Simpson. And as I walked in, he shook my hand. He said, well, then, uh, Kubis, you, you, you're the new sports administrator, uh, cricket administrator, director of cricket at UCT. So that's how I got the job. And uh, 
about two days later, I was sitting in an office and I've never worked in an office before in my life. So it started a whole new new career for me. And I ended up being at UCT from uh, 1996 to 2010. So I had a 14-year career at UCT. And if I look at the time of my life, uh, that was the most enjoyable time in cricket. Uh, I, I absolutely loved the job. I was passionate about it. And uh, we did incredibly well. I mean, the UCT team during my time, I think because I love cricket so much and I was very much in, in touch with players, uh, it, during my time we had about four or five coaches and I never, ever advertised. Before, they used to advertise the position for um, coach of UCT and they had people like Duncan Fletcher and, and Kevin Lyons, that was a very good cricketer in, in the UK. He played for Glamorgan. Uh, they had some, and uh, Stuart Leary, he was... Uh, ex-Kent uh, uh, professional, and he also uh, became coach of Western Province. He was a UCT uh, cricket coach. I have, so, uh, and there's some wonderful players over the years. Gary Kirsten, Eric Simons brings to mind. Um, and then, but they only won the league, the, the proper Premier League in the Western Cape once in, in the history of UCT cricket, even with all those top players and coaches. And then during my time there, we won the, the Premier League uh, division four times. Uh, and uh, we also um, competition, the 50 over competition, we won it f uh, five times. And in 2000, UCT uh, won the, the South African Club Championships. We, we beat the University of Pretoria in the final under floodlights. It was televised uh, in Pretoria. Uh, <coughs> and uh, we became South African Club Champions. Uh, in the same year, 2000, we also won the SA Universities Week, which we hosted uh, at UCT, and we beat uh, uh, Pretoria University again in the final of the last ball. So uh, um, we just had a wonderful run. And uh, if I think back about my UCT and, and also coaches, we uh, 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 I, I got Gary Kirsten to come and coach here. I had Brian McMillan there as a coach. Uh, after Brian Murphy he played for us and captained the side for five years. And then he went to play for Zimbabwe. But when he uh, retired as a test cricketer, I got Brian back at UCT to come as a player coach for one season. Uh, I had Andy Kirsten there for two seasons, just after he got back as a coach for Kenya, where they um, played in the, in the, in the World Cup in 2003. Yes, yes. Andy came and uh, coached. And he was also a coach for Canada before... Um, so um, he was he was in Toronto and he had a very good time there. And then when he got back from Canada, he came to I uh, asked him to come and coach UCT. Um, also had um, two very well known players in one season. They both they were the coach and assistant coach. I had Johnny Commons that played a couple. He played three tests I think for South Africa against New Zealand. And Alan Dawson who played a lot of one day internationals for South Africa. They, they coach uh, UCT as well, and I never advertised. I, I used to approach these guys over a cup of coffee and then uh, got them to come and coach UCT. And we also had some, on the playing side, we had Charles Langefeld, who's now the South African bowling coach. Charles Langefeld played for us for a season. Rory Kleinfeld, who played for South Africa, played for us. Uh, Graeme Smith, actually, and that was also quite an interesting story. Um, yeah. Graeme, because of my friendship with Jimmy Cook, that goes back to my Pirates days that I told you about yesterday. That's right. uh, Jimmy, Jimmy at the time was the coach at the um, at Rand Afrikaans University. It was called then, it's now called the University of Johannesburg. And uh, 
he was also he had a he had a cricket uh, he had a cricket academy at at King Edward School where uh, Graham Smith uh, was in he was in matric and in finally of school at the time and he was already obviously exceptional cricketer and I got a call from uh, I got a call from Jimmy one day in my office and he said listen uh, Graham is supposed to come to J University of Johannesburg he's already uh, spoken to me but. Um, uh, I, I just don't think we're going to – he's not going to captain the side at University of, uh, of, of Johannesburg. We, our captain's been – I think it was Dean Lang at the time. I could be wrong. But he said, we've got a very experienced Transvaal player uh, captaining the side. So, Graham is not going to captain. He said he's been captaining the team at King Edward School. He's a phenomenal captain, and he needs to captain. So could you offer him a scholarship at University of Cape Town? So I rushed over to Professor John Simpson's office. I said, listen, Prof, we could get Graham Smith, the, the cricketer in, in Johannesburg. He, we could put him on a scholarship and get him into UCT. So um, we sent him an application form and we offered him a bursary. And uh, Graham ended up at, at UCT. He came to study there, Graham Smith. And uh, that's how he got into Western Province cricket. And he played one match for us and he got 100. Uh, but it was quite funny. His first game for us when he got the 100, they, somebody got into the uh, dressing room, players' dressing room, and they stole both his bats. Uh, so so Graham, <laughs> Graham, Graham's first match for UCT got 100 and, and both his bats got stolen. Uh, in the second innings, he had to borrow a bat from, from one of the other players. Uh, that's how Graham started at UCT, and that was his first and last match for us. He um, was invited straight away to Western Province uh, Provincial Nets, and he got a, offered a, 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 a contract, a professional contract at, at Western Province, and uh, he then didn't play any, any, any club cricket. Uh, he just played for Province, and he ended up about, I think he, we kept him registered at UCT, and I think he played one one Saturday. He played on the one leg of a two-day game. Western Province had a bye, and he was playing for South Africa. And he came to to get a bit of batting practice. He came to play for us one Saturday. He didn't get many runs, but so Graham altogether played three innings for UCT. Um, but that's how Graham Smith got in there. And then to continue with UCT cricket, if you want me to, if you don't mind, I'll, oh, I'll yeah, no worries. go ahead. Yeah. Um, UCT at, at the time we um, I, I very much I had the fourteen very enjoyable years there and I always break it down into the Brian Murphy era and then yeah. the Ryan Charter era. Um, Brian Murphy, you know, he went on to to uh, captain Zimbabwe actually in in a one day game That's to right. go with trick. And uh, Brian, I think at the time was only twenty three, but uh, it, when he came to UCT, he, he's got a twin brother, David Murphy. And they, they obviously grew up in, in Zimbabwe, and they were just two phenomenal sportsmen. They both played uh, provincial hockey for, for Zimbabwe. Uh, they, they both played rugby, and then they both played for the, <coughs> for the Zimbabwe school's cricket side in, in what we call those days in Nuffield Week. So um, they were just two phenomenal cricketers. And their father, also Brian Murphy, uh, captained the, the, the old Rhodesia cricket uh, a rugby team for many years, and he, he was a loose forward, and he was a good friend of Professor John Simpson. So I got a, one day, Professor Simpson called me up to his office again, and he said, listen, I've got these two Murphy brothers. Their father contacted me, and he said they want to come and study at UCT. They're two phenomenal sportsmen. Brian was also a, a, French, a, a provincial swimmer, and his sister swam for um, 
for Zimbabwe in the Olympic Games. So they were just a, 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 a family of, of, of sportsmen and sports people. So uh, Professor Simpson said, I've got the two Murphys coming and can we're going to offer them a, a scholarship as well. So the two Murphys arrived and Trotman was coach at the time. And we had a very strong first sight and they came there as two 18-year-olds from Zimbabwe. So Prof said, so, so Emerson Trotman said, well, they're not going to play in the first team straight away. It just can't happen. But uh, they're going to play for the, for the uh, third eleven. And they were playing away somewhere on some field that was not very glamorous. Um, they, there was no change room. They had to change next to the car, that kind of thing. So the yeah. two Murphys went off to play for the third side. And, and Trotty asked me, he said, because I'm obviously with the first side. Do you mind going with the third team and just watch him play and tell me what you think of the two? So on the day, I mean, Brian was way too good for that league. He took five wickets, I think, with his leg spin. And, and David got a 50. So the following weekend, they were both playing for the first team. And uh, I'll never forget it, the two twins. They had a very funny relationship, these two. Uh, they were incredibly close. They were always together, but they were yeah. always at each other. They were they were always fighting and arguing. And uh, David opened the batting, and we were sitting up on the balcony. The rest of the team, and David went into bat, and he he was a beautiful player. He had all the shots, and he blazed it, and he got a quick fire twenty of about three overs, and then uh, he hit the ball straight up in the air. So as he got out, Brian jumped up on the balcony. Uh, at the UCT Cricket Oval, we, it's sort of a, uh, the, the Cricket Oval is sort of up on a, on a little, uh, it's sort of you walk up about 20 steps to get to the Oval uh, Clubhouse. And then we were sitting on the balcony. So you really, from up there, you look down on the field. And Brian jumped up and he started shouting abuse at his brother. You stupid idiot, you fool. And he just had a full go <laughs> all the way. As David walked off the field, Brian was abusing him. And even as he walked into the dressing room up the steps, Brian went down into the dressing room and they're still shouting and they're giving him a full go. What stupid shot was that? And uh, it was hilarious. In their first game, the other players, the senior players, were just looking at this and thought, what is going on here? <laughs> <laughs> but then uh, Brian went on and he, he captained after about four games. Uh, we elected him, Trot, Trot, uh, Trotman made him captain of the site and uh, Brian was just a phenomenal cricketer. Uh, he often used to open the bowling in club cricket with his leg spin, and he would often take seven, six wickets. Uh, I know in his first season, he took over 80 wickets in the league. And for five years with Brian, uh, it was sort of, as I said, I called it the Brian Murphy era. He was a fantastic captain. Uh, he had an absolute feel for the game. And that um, also when he got selected for Zimbabwe for the test side, that was quite a... A funny story, Brian was playing for us. Our club cricket in Cape Town, the Premier League, we would play over two Saturdays. So a match would consist of the first Saturday and the second Saturday. And then Brian played the first Saturday, captained the team. And on that Monday, he walked into my office uh, in, the, in, the, in the sports centre. All the sport uh, directors had offices there, the rugby guy, the one for water polo. And I was sitting in my office and Brian walked in and he put a fax on my table and he said Quivers I won't be able to play the second Saturday and he showed me the facts and he was he's just been selected for the Zimbabwe tour of uh, the West Indies so I mean he was playing club cricket the one day and then he was off to uh, off to Zimbabwe for I think they had about a week training camp and then they were off to the West Indies so two weeks later after our game we were all sitting in the clubhouse uh, watching on TV Brian 
bowling to the West Indian to Brian Lara and these guys. And his first test wicket was Jimmy Adams. And, you know, two weeks ago, he was playing club cricket with us. So that's how Brian uh, started his, his <laughs> test career. And unfortunately, Brian only played 11 tests for, he played quite, uh, I think he played about 20 odd, I could be wrong, ODIs for Zimbabwe, but he only played the 11 tests. And he retired when he was 26 and went to play uh, professional cricket in the UK. And that, that I, I still believe to this day, if Brian had a full Cricket uh, uh, career, you know, if he had played till 34, 35, Brian would have been right up there with the top, top leg spinners in the game. He was a, he was a really, really good cricketer and a fantastic captain. Uh, Brian really, really knows the game. I know um, Andy Flower when he captained Zimbabwe. Um, you know, he, he he always roomed with with Brian, and he would discuss our position and and team tactics with with Brian. Uh, so I would very much say Brian Murphy and, and Daryl Cullinan for me as the two players. Uh, they, 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 their knowledge of the game is just phenomenal. Uh, Daryl as well, he he's, he's really knows the game. So, yeah, they, those were. And then at UCT, we had some, which is quite an interesting setup there because it was very much, a, it's, a, it's a student team, young students playing in, a, in the Premier Division where, you know, most of these players had played in Premier Division for about 12, 14 years. The guys would start playing firstly club cricket when they were like 20, 22, and they would play up to the age of 35, 36. So they were hardened, experienced club cricketers, and then you had these young students. You know, students only play for four or five years, and they graduate, and they leave university. So we only had players for four or five years at a time, and they were youngsters. That's sort of from the age of 18 to 23 playing in this men's league and you really had to understand the, the, the student mentality uh, and that was the key to being successful with that team as a coach. Um, that's why I always got uh, good ex-players, not too old, um, except for Hilton Ackerman, who is just uh, phenomenal, as I said yesterday. But my other coaches That's were right. all still quite young. I mean, Gary was very young. Brian as a player coach. Andy, Andy actually played one, his first season as coach. He, he was a player coach. So I got young coaches in to work with a team that could understand that student mentality. Because um, I can tell you a story that would sum it up perfectly. We... Um, we had a game in the league against Stellenbosch University. Now, Stellenbosch, if you don't know Cape Town, it's about a 50-minute drive outside of Cape Town. Uh, it's, a, it's a little university town or village. And if you take the university away, there's basically nothing left. <laughs> Stellenbosch uh, village is Stellenbosch University. So we, we went to play against uh, Stellenbosch on the weekend. And the UCT guys decided they're going to make a weekend of it. It's a lovely opportunity for a, for a bit of a party. So uh, they went and booked into a, a, a bed and breakfast uh, on, the, on the Friday night. And they, the game was on Saturday. So Friday night, the guys went on, the, on, on a big night out on the town in, in Stellenbosch. They went to all those little drinking places uh, in Stellenbosch. And most of them only got, got back at about four in the morning. And they had to report at the ground at, at eight o'clock with uh, Toddy, and, and, and Toddy was a very, very strict disciplinarian of Emerson Trotman. So it was hilarious. I, I got there early and uh, to the ground. I, I drove in from Cape Town. I left my house early that morning. And uh, I got to the ground, and the Stellenbosch guys were coached by Omar Henry. And uh, they had some serious players as well. Adrian Holtstock, that's now a, a, a test umpire. Adrian was the opening bowler, and uh, they had about four or five first-class potential cricketers that played for 
uh, Wurland in later years. So um, they, they, they were there in their tracksuits, uh, looking very smart, warming up, doing drills. And Toddy was sitting there waiting for his team. And uh, there were no, absolutely no UCT players. And literally 20 minutes before the start of the game, they, they went up in three cars. They were sort of four or five in a car. Uh, and they arrived 15 minutes before the, the TUS. They arrived, so they had no warm-up. And Toddy was absolutely throwing his toys. He was fuming. Uh, you know, this just cannot happen. And then uh, UCT had to bat first. Omar could see these guys were still pretty much hangover from, well, I would be honest, most of them were still drunk from the night before. So Omar said, no, no, we're going to put them into bat when they won the toss and bowl them out for 20. And my two opening batters, a guy called, <laughs> <laughs> a guy called Martin Kuster and Martin Waller, uh, uh, the two opening batters, uh, Michael Waller went in and uh, they put on a 180 opening partnership. They just smashed the wow. bowlers all over the place. We won the uh, game easily. And I think that sums up UCT cricket. They, they often played like that. The guys would come and they were just such natural, gifted cricketers. We had Chris Cook, the Glamorgan captain, wicketkeeper, played for us for five years. Um, you know, I can go on. We, we had some phenomenal cricketers. Um, so it was really... Uh, UCT days were, were phenomenal. We, we had some very funny stories as well. Um, I remember the one game we played against this week against Natal University, and they had an all-rounder, Jan Kent, who was their top player. He played about three ODIs for South Africa later on, and he had a very long uh, first-class career for the Dolphins, the Natal provincial side. And he was a student at the University of Natal, and Young Kent had a bit of an attitude on him. He knew he was a good cricketer. So uh, he was bowling to our guys, and Waller and Chris again opened the batting. And uh, his first over, he, Martin Chris just couldn't get bat on ball. It was swinging a lot early morning. And uh, at the end of the over, he walked down the wicket, Jan Kent, and he looked at Martin Chris and he tapped his sort of on his bum at the back on his pocket. And he said, listen, mate, I've got you in my pocket. And uh, Martin, uh, uh, Waller was just watching all this from the non-striker's end. And then, then two overs later, you know, the other bowler bowled. And then when Jan Kent bowled his second over, Martin Christian, I'll never forget, hit him for 20 runs of the over. And uh, <laughs> after the, that first over, we couldn't get back to ball. So as at the end of the over, as uh, Kent took his cap from the umpire and he walked away back to his uh, fielding position, Martin Waller ran after him and he hit him with... with a bat on his on his bum and Kent turned around and said what word he said um, I'm just checking uh, I think you've got a hole in your pocket and you know, that sort of summed up UCT cricket that was so funny I think you've got a hole in your pocket uh, and I'll tell you one more story about UCT we played a game against a team a very Afrikaans team called Belleville in the Premier League, and uh, we had a, a young Indian player in our side, uh, Theo Naido. And Theo, it was very funny, Theo always played in the third 11, and he batted number four, and he really rated himself as a cricketer. And he used to come to me and Trotman and said, guys, you have to pick me for the first team. But Theo never got more than 20. 
So, you know, Trotman explained to him, he said, Theo, but you're going to have to score a, a few runs before we can select you for our first sight. And uh, Theo carried on with this, you know, asking, he always said, I'm knocking on the door. And then uh, we played against Belleville and it was sort of that holiday time when the university students just finished exams and a lot of guys would go home. If they're from Joburg or from Natal, they would go home for the holiday and miss the last couple of games of the season. Uh, and... Uh, most of the first team players were already went home. So I had to sort of, me and Trotman had to scrape a team together from the second and third 11 guys. So Theo Naidu actually got his opportunity to play in the first team. And we played against Belleville and he batted number seven. And uh, we were about 74 for five when he went in. We were in trouble. We didn't have a strong side. And uh, Theo went into bat with this big white. The Belleville had an opening bowler that um, I think it took four of the first five wickets and he was he was on a roll. And uh, he was a very Afrikaans, a typical Afrikaans guy, sort of uh, quite a big Afrikaan and he was quite quick. And uh, uh, he bowled and the first three balls he bowled, Theo nicked him through slips and overslips for three fours. So after three balls, Theo had 12. Uh, but he nicked all three of the outside edge. So this this bowler... Uh, walked down the wicket and he asked Theo, is that the only shot you've got? And this little Indian guy looked at him and he said, no, I've got one other shot. That's the one I gave your wife last night. <laughs> and, <laughs> and, uh, you have to understand um, South Africa to, to appreciate the joke. I mean, for this little guy to tell this, oh, I know. can't know that. Um, it was hilarious. And <laughs> that's sort of, yeah, that's some of the UCT day stories, which was a, a wonderful time of my life. And uh, you also coached uh, the Holland uh, junior teams. Uh, how was that experience? I think uh, you were player coach, you were a sponsored player coach there. Yeah, um, at the time as well, I, 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 I was uh, still director of cricket at UCT. And uh, Trotman became, when he left UCT, he became national head coach of Holland. And uh, again, Trotty, he got me that first job at UCT. And again, I got a call from Trotman and he said, listen, uh, Holland is looking for a national youth coach. That would be all the teams from under 12 to under 23 side, all the age groups under 12, 13, 15, 17, 19, 23. Uh, and then Trotman was a national head coach. So it's a national youth coach and also a uh, national youth coach, but also development officer. So I applied for the job, and I, I to this day, believe Trotman, uh, you know, basically uh, it wasn't Trotty's style to ask. Trotty used to tell people. So I think Trotman told the Dutch cricket board that this guy will be my assistant coach. So I got the job, and uh, I then went to the uh, director of sport uh, at UCT and I asked if I, because in the winter we had no cricket, but I was still in the office. I had sort of planned the season and I didn't have much to do. So I asked them at UCT to put me on a, on a special kind of contract where it became a six-month contract. So only for the second cricket season, I would be director of cricket and then release me in the winter. It was obviously a saving uh, money for them as well. And then winters, I would go, like in my playing days, I would go to Holland and this position as national youth coach and development officer. So I ended up uh, doing two seasons, 2000 and uh, 2001 uh, in Holland. And it was an amazing experience I, I, because I was still playing cricket. 
and I asked the Dutch cricket board permission to play on Saturday as a, as a cricket pro as well for the one club, red and white. It was actually Trotman's club as well. And uh, I had a wonderful start. My first two innings as I got 200. Uh, but I must say the bowling wasn't the best. So um, I played club cricket on a Saturday as a pro. And then um, it was quite funny. In Dutch cricket was just something totally different. You know, I've always played in UK then and in South Africa. And I've never really played one of these smaller cricket countries, um, like an affiliate member. So it was a, a real eye-opener for me the way they played cricket. Like when I arrived there at the club in the UK, I think at that stage I had about nine or, yeah, I, I, I had my 11 seasons as a, a club pro in the UK and I always got a car. And I arrived in Holland at my club and they the first night at the clubhouse introduced me to the players and I had a few Cokes, you know, I didn't drink, I had a few Cokes with the boys. And then they said, your, your transport is outside. And the one guy said, your bicycle is outside. And I laughed. I said, yeah, yeah, big joke. And <laughs> they took me outside, the chairman of the club and some of the committee members took me outside and had a bicycle. And I said, but okay, guys, it's a, it's a joke, but thanks, I'll take the bicycle, but where's my car? And they said, no, you don't get a car in Holland, you don't get a bicycle. And Hilton Ackerman later, I told him the story and he laughed. Hilton played there for quite a few seasons for VRA in his playing days. And Hilton said, yes, I, I, I had a... a bicycle and Gary, Gary had a season in Holland and Gary also confirmed, you know, Gary had a bicycle. So I had a bicycle and I had to go to club practices and matches. If it's not too far to go, if it's a home game, I used to go on my bicycle. I used to cycle into the club and then uh, I got a, I got a ride with one of the players to wherever we're playing. But I had a season, I had my two seasons there with my bicycle as a club pro. And then also, um, as coach, it was quite funny. We played, um, I would go to all the junior tournaments with all the sites. And we used to play the ECC tournaments, European Cricket Council tournaments, where every year in all the age groups, and it would be your under uh, uh, 15 tournament, your under 17s and under 19s. And we would play uh, these tournaments with Ireland, Scotland and Denmark. Um, so I would go with the different age groups wherever they're playing. And I had some wonderful tours, some great memories of going to Belfast. We actually played the one under-17 tournament we played in, in Londonderry. And that was really at the time of the IRA. So we stayed in the hotel. And the Dutch players, you know, our caps, uh, it's, it's, it's orange, the Dutch cap. So the first day at the hotel, we, we went for a practice. And the guys got in the bus with their orange caps. And... Uh, Irish uh, bus drivers started shouting us to cap take the caps off because they had a political party called the Orange Caps in, uh, in, in Ireland. And he said, if you put those caps on in the bus and we get the other political party to see you, they'll, they'll, they'll actually bomb the bus. And we thought it was a joke, but he was, he was dead serious. And then on the way to the practice, uh, uh, they got us to have a net at, at, at a, a, a local club there near Londonderry. It's about 50, mi 50 miles uh, north of, of Belfast. And uh, on the way there, we passed through about five of these roadblocks with, with soldiers. And in the evenings, we weren't allowed outside of a hotel at all. They had a curfew. At seven o'clock, we all had to be in the hotel rooms. So, um, and the week before we arrived, they, 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 uh, the IRA shot a mortar into the, uh, in, in, into the English uh, military base uh, the British military base in Londonderry, which was about uh, a kilometer away from our hotel. 
So we were really there at the time of the RA, and it was quite. It was a, you know, we've, we've the Dutch boys has never experienced anything like that. So that was quite an experience. And then also um, we played a tournament up in 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 Denmark. Now I've never been to Denmark, so we had a week in Denmark. They hosted the under seventeen tournament, and we played on. It's like an island. We had to take a ferry to the island uh, to get to the club where they hosted this tournament. So all the teams, Ireland, Scotland, ourselves and Denmark were staying there. And uh, we did quite well. We beat Scotland on the first day with Kyle Kutzer, who's now their best, well, he became their best player. He's a South African guy. Uh, Kyle Kutzer played for, he captained the under-17s. And we beat them on the first day against the odds. And then second day, we beat uh, uh, we beat Denmark quite easily. So... Um, we had to play Ireland in in the in the last day, and it became sort of a final. And obviously, we, they played on matching wickets. So um, we 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 put we won the toss and we put them into bat first. And they had William Porterfield was their keeper batter. They had Eon Morgan played for them. The one one or both of the O'Brien brothers, Kevin and his brother, played for them. Uh, Rankin, the fast bowler. So about seven of those guys went on to play for the Ireland senior team in the World Cups uh, uh, qualifying and World Cup tournaments. So they had a very strong side and they scored about 170. We did quite well to restrict them to 170 in 50 hours. And then the clubhouse was about a 10-minute walk from the, from, from the actual ground. So uh, at lunch, all the players left. We all left and went to the clubhouse to have lunch. And I saw a few of the Irish guys leaving very early. And I thought I've probably got the timing wrong. Maybe lunch is only 30 minutes and, and not 45 minutes. So I asked one of the umpires, I said, sorry, can I just check um, on the time here? Because I, I was at that time, I was a coach. So I had to go and warm up and all that uh, with my players. So I asked him, he said, no, no, you still got about 20 minutes left. So these Irish guys left, about four of their guys left early. I said, well, they're probably going down to have a bit of a warm up. And then we went to bat and... It, it, the, I mean, a, a, a matting wicket can't change during a course of a day's play. A, a, you know, it, it's the same for both teams. And all of a sudden, balls just back of a length were just jumping up and hitting our guys. Rankin was unplayable. He hit our guys black and blue. Uh, our two openers both got hit on the helmet. Our guys were getting hit on the hands. And they, they bowled us out for, I think Rankin got six wickets, and they bowled us out for about 60, 70. And uh, it was a real disappointment. But I, I've you know, I've played a bit of cricket and I just couldn't believe what was happening, how their bowlers could get that amount of bounce and uneven bounce. One would keep low and one would, would, would stand up on a, on a matting wicket, whereas in the morning it was beautiful even bounce when, when they batted. So uh, we had the, the presentation at the end of the tournament in the clubhouse and our president was there of Dutch cricket, um, Mr. René van Eeskot. He came down for the final presentation and to watch the last game. So um, I, I, I just had a feeling. So during the presentation, it was quite a long affair and, and quite boring, a lot of speeches and that. And uh, I took my captain, who is a guy called um, Maurits van Nierop. He practically died actually playing club cricket in South Africa a couple of years after that. So I said to Maurits, Maurits, let's take a walk down uh, to, the, to the ground. I just want to go and have a look at that mat again. There's something strange going on there. So myself and Maupi took a walk down and I got him to help me to lift the one side of the mat and rolled it up a bit and lift it up. And just back of a length, there were five stones, little pebbles uh, that you'd pick up on the beach. Uh, that 
someone had put five pebbles just back of a length. And uh, that's obviously what happened on the day. When our guys batted, their bowlers kept hitting that just back of a length and they were hitting these, uh, these stones under the mat and it just became unplayable. So, <laughs> so I went back with, with uh, Maritz and I took the five stones in my pocket and I showed it to Mr. Van Ischot and I said, listen, the, the, someone put these stones under the mat when we were batting. And he said, it's just, we don't want any, any drama here. Let, let's just keep it quiet. But uh, that, that was quite a story that, that, you know, during my time as a coach at, in Holland. So, yeah, I had some wonderful times in Holland as well. I had my first year staying in Amsterdam and then my second year I was in Den Haag. And uh, it was really a very enjoyable and very interesting time. And I mean, some of those young Dutch cricketers became really, really good cricketers. Uh, Peter Seeler, that is now the Dutch captain, uh, Peter, Peter, captain oh, yes. my under 15 side. Uh, and uh, Dan van Bunge was opening the batting for my under 19 side that I coached. And Dan at that famous over in the World Cup when Herschel Gibbs hit him for the six sixes in the over, if you remember that. So Don also That's played. Right. So yes, I had a, I had a really good experience in in Holland. And after Holland and after the University of Cape Town, um, you became CEO of uh, Cricket Kenya. But it was only a seven months stay. How come? Yeah, how come it was uh, that no, short? that was. It, it's actually. It's. I would almost call that the 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 one regret I've got about my my time in cricket was that experience you know it was a it, it was probably the big it was definitely the biggest achievement of of my time in cricket i never played top level cricket uh you know i coached up to under 19 national uh, sides but i never coached at proper international level you know to coach the international team at senior level so i was always sort of there and thereabouts and then i you know as a 12th man for for Western Province and for Derbyshire and for Kent, but I, I, I never really made it, I felt, as, as in, in the top leagues. Um, and this Kenya job, you know, to become the CEO of Cricket Kenya, I know uh, they had 210 applications for the position. Uh, that was in the minutes of, of one of their board meetings, which I had. Uh, and I, I'd, I'd int- I had about five interviews over a period of a month and a half and uh, I used to do these uh, interviews with uh, Richard Doan, who was at the time the development uh, officer or manager for the ICC. He was in Brisbane, so we would have these Skype interviews. And then Jackie Jamohammed, who was president and chair lady of Kenya Cricket, and Kasim Sun, who was head of, uh, uh, head of Africa Cricket. He was based down in Benoni. So all three of them, they were the selection board, and they would interview me. And then I had a final interview with uh, the Kenyan cricket board on, on Skype, and uh, which was a real, real uh, tough process to, to get the position. And that was sort of the, the highlight of my cricket career, I think, to become a CEO of Cricket Kenya. At the time, they were very strong. They've played in the pre- before I started there in 2014. They played in the previous five World Cups uh, tournaments. So... Um, I became uh, CEO there and then it was a huge disappointment. I mean, the way cricket was uh, run in Kenya at the time, and that was sort of the start of the decline of, of Kenyan cricket. Uh, the board just was not up to it. Um, they had a very weak board and, and uh, Jackie Jamohammed used to sort of control 
the board completely. So it became very much a, a, a Jackie Jackie show, and uh, she controlled cricket in Kenya. And being the CEO was actually an incredible. It was an impossible job, and you could see it in the turnover of CEOs. The the previous CEOs, nobody I think lasted more than a year. Uh, they would come and go. Uh, coaches the same. Uh, they had a turnover of coaches, and actually, my my second day in the job as CEO, I got a call from Jackie to come and see her. She was a she's a lawyer, and uh, she was working in a in in a uh, law firm's office. And my driver, Tello, used to drive me up to her office almost daily, and Jackie would prep me for the day and told me what I had to do that day or for that week, and. Uh, Never make any decision. So I was a CEO, but without any decision-making powers. And uh, Jackie summons me to office on my second day and said, listen, your first job as CEO, you've got to tell the coach that he's fired. And Robin, uh, Robin Brown, the ex Zimbabwean <laughs> test cricketer, was the coach at the time. And uh, that was literally three weeks before the, uh, the, the team had to go to the World Cup qualifying tournament in Dubai. And... Uh, they were. They decided to fire the coach, and uh, Steve Tickler became a player coach. And then, uh, when I arrived, my first night actually, Robin picked me up at the. When I arrived, he picked me up at the at the airport, and he invited me to his apartment to have dinner with him and his wife. And he was telling me till about two o'clock that morning. We were talking about uh, cricket in Kenya, and he was sort of giving me a bit of a rundown and and giving me some information on the players and the way cricket was managed. And then, you know, he was the first person I actually met in Kenya. And the second day, I had to call him into the office to tell him that he's been fired. And uh, it's just terrible. And that sort of set the tone for my seven months in Kenya. But I, I really tried. I was, I was, I was incredibly motivated to, to develop the game in Kenya and, uh, but it became almost impossible. Uh, you know, they, they really had no development programs in place. I would put these programs in place, take it to the board for approval, and then they never really, they didn't show any interest, to be very honest. Uh, they were only focused on the national team, and uh, it was only about qualifying for the World Cup. That, that was the priority, and that was the focus. Uh, very, very little happened in terms of development of junior teams, under 15s, under 17s. And that the consequence of that is that when that Kenyan team of 2003, when they played that World Cup, uh, Cup tourna, uh, qualifying tournament in 2014, when I was CEO, that was sort of the last uh, tournament that these guys played as a team together. And we had two of the oldest players in the tournament. Uh, Steve Tikula was in his 40s. And the one bowler, Lucas, I forgot his surname, he, he was also in his 40s. He made a comeback for that World Cup. Uh, Thomas was quite old by then as well. So most of these players were right at the end of their careers, late late 30s, early 40s. And we had a very old team. Uh, and and uh, there were just no, there weren't a lot of youngsters coming through. Uh, afterwards, a few very good youngsters and Really, I think because they went to play overseas and gain experience, uh, you had um, Asif Karim's son, uh, the keeper batter, went to play. He went to university at Loughborough and he would come and play for Kenya in these tournaments. And obviously, from the experience he gained of playing overseas, 
Uh, he, he was a very good player, but Kenya didn't really develop uh, uh, a lot of young players. So the, the club league uh, structure was terrible. Club cricket was very poor. And uh, unfortunately, yeah, that, that was sort of the beginning, if I could call it the end of Kenyan cricket. And uh, also, um, the reason I was only there for seven months, I mean, this, this just cannot happen. But after seven months in the office, I had a few real run-ins with Jackie towards the end. And uh, I contacted Kasim Suleiman and I said, you know, this, this job is just becoming impossible. And even uh, the ICC uh, uh, told me that uh, they can't actually interfere because, um, you know, the board was elected. It's a, democ uh, 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 it's a democracy and they were elected by the clubs. Uh, you can't really, they except if they do something, you know, uh, illegal, which I didn't do, obviously. Uh, the the ICC and Africa Cricket can't do can't interfere in in domestic cricket in Kenya, so uh, I, I had a few run-ins with Jackie during that time where we just really really uh, didn't see eye to eye, and then Jackie called me in and said um, after seven months we was actually there's a problem, uh, your visa application wasn't approved, and she took my passport uh, which I gave to her my first day there so she was gonna do my, my visa application for me, you know, being employed by Cricket Kenya. And she gave my passport back to me and she said, you, we can't get you a visa. Now, so I was literally in Kenya on a holiday visa for seven months. And, uh, uh, you know, I, 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 I was working illegally. Uh, and, and that's just, you know, how can that happen? And what they did is I, I went to a C, I attended the CEO's, a cricket conference in Benoni with Kasim Suleiman, with all the CEOs of the African countries like Uganda, Botswana, they were all there. I had to do a presentation on cricket in Kenya. Uh, I went to the World Cup qualifying tournament with Jackie to support the team in Dubai. So every time I came back, I would get a new, you automatically got a three months holiday visa. So I got a new stamp for three months. So that's how Jackie actually kept me, uh, I was legally in Kenya, but I was working illegally. But I did news news uh, interviews, quite a few, I think at least four news interviews uh, in, in Kenya. I was often in the newspaper there, in the national. They did interviews with me on Kenyan cricket. So, and all the time I was, I was working illegally. And Cricket Kenya could have got a huge fine. I would have been deported. So they took a huge risk. And, and that was how that whole... Uh, you know, how my time in Kenya came to an end and I actually left and I was really, uh, I, I, I wasn't very happy because I, I love Kenya. I love Nairobi. Um, it's a beautiful place. I met some wonderful people there, some wonderful, really, really talented cricketers. And uh, I just sort of saw it all go to waste by, uh, because of bad, bad management. It's pretty unfortunate where the cricket has gone in Kenya from uh, its highs of 2003 to basically yeah, it's nowhere uh, these no, days. Sorry to interrupt you but, there, but uh, if I can say, yeah. I mean, uh, you know, if we can talk maybe two more minutes on Kenyan cricket, the, 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 the real sad thing is that they've got some yeah. really, really pe people there that, that could do a fantastic job. I mean, Asif Karim, the ex-captain uh, who took that famous... Uh, Three for eight uh, against Australia. 
when you got when you got yeah, one thing out of yeah. his three victims. Uh, Asif Karim is a very very successful businessman, highly respected. Uh, I think he, he, he captained them in at least two of the three World Cups that he played for Kenya. And uh, Asif Karim, I mean, he's he's a, he's a real cricket man. He knows the game inside out. He's highly respected in uh, Kenya. He also played Davis Cup for for Kenya and. Uh, Asif, Asif is, is just nowhere in, in Cricket Kenya. They've completely pushed him out. They uh, don't use him in any capacity. His experience, his knowledge uh, in Kenyan cricket. I, without knowing the internal politics and without consulting with Jackie, we, I organized a, a day of mini cricket. I called it a mini cricket festival one day at, at Ruaraka, which were the headquarters of, of Cricket Kenya. Uh, and and I, I, I organized for them yeah. to bus kids from the villages in and uh, the Kenyan national team players were coaching these kids. And uh, we had about 140 kids there from the villages uh, coming down in buses. We organized lunches for them. So they spent the whole day there playing cricket with the national team players. That was sort of an idea I had to develop the game. And I asked Asif, without consulting with Jackie, I thought nothing of it. I said, Asif, would you mind coming down on the day and doing some coaching here for the youngsters? And he spent the whole day there and he was just fantastic with the kids and the Kenyan national players all came to talk to him and they, nobody had, uh, addressed him as Asif. Even Steve Ticolo, who played 130 plus in, uh, ODIs for Kenya, called him Mr. Karim. The respect from the players, from everybody and uh, the Monday I was summoned to Jackie's office and she said, how could you have uh, Asif Karim down there? And I said, well, is this, I mean, the guy played in three World Cups. Uh, well, is there any problem with that? And she said, yes, you should have consulted with me. Uh, you can't have Asif Karim down there. Uh, it's, and, uh, you know, to this day, I just can't understand how that can happen. Morris Odongwa, uh, I could pronounce. Odumbe, I mean, Morris was a, a, a yes. wonderful player, Morris. And uh, he also, he, he, he's, not, he's not involved in Kenyan cricket in any capacity. Uh, he would be a really good coach for an under-19 team with his experience and the player he was. And they're just not using these players. That experience is all going to waste in Kenya. It's it's a pity that uh, that's happening because uh, Asif Karim is is basically a living legend of uh, Kenya cricket, and so is uh, Maurice Odumbe. They have been instrumental in uh, so many great victories and matches and, and, that and you know, Kenya no, played. That, that that kind of experience, uh, you can't. No, no coaching course can teach you that. You can be a level four coach, but the 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 actual playing experience. Asif Karim bowling against Ricky Ponting and these guys. Um, playing at that level, it's experience that, that no course can teach you that. And, uh, you know, to get these players, you see South Africa now has got Graham Smith and, and, and Boucher back involved with the national team. And if you read what Faf Duplessis and the players are all saying, you know, and, and Jacques Cullis is there as, as a betting consultant, all the players are saying this is real coaching, to have that kind of experience in a dressing room. Now, Kenya could have the same. Uh, Steve Ticolo left Kenya. He was a player coach when I was there, and then he went to become the, the coach at Uganda. Uh, and and uh, even Joseph Angara is now the Botswana coach. Uh, Joseph was a very, very good coach, played for Kenya. They just let these coaches go. 
and, and that experience is all leaving Kenya. And if they're in Kenya, if they stay there, they don't use it. So, you know, Kenya cricket, uh, you can really blame it just on absolutely very, very bad administration and no vision whatsoever. So after the after leaving Kenya, you ended up in uh, Dubai um, with some uh, academy cricket, or was it uh, yes, school uh, cricket well, you were involved in? Yes, well, again, a total different experience. You know, going to, I've never been to the Middle East before. I took up a job there. I went straight from Kenya. Um, uh, when I went to Dubai, I went there about three times uh, representing Kenya cricket as CEO. I went to meetings and at the ICC, and I also went to watch it and, and support the Kenyan team during that World Cup qualifier, and I met a gentleman, Mr. Seti, uh, and he had a he got a cricket academy there, Max Global Cricket Academy, and uh, I met him during one of my visits there, and uh, he asked me to come and do a presentation for Max Max Talent uh, Academy. They had a tournament, a, a girls' tournament, and he asked me in my capacity as CEO of Cricket Kenya to be the guest on, in the afternoon and do the presentation. For the at the end of the cricket tournament, so best batswoman, best bowler. So I went to do a presentation for them, and uh, he took me for dinner that evening. And he he kept phoning me in Kenya. He said, "If you ever leave Kenya, don't you want to come and work for Max Talent?" So when Jackie told me I haven't got a visa, I had a month basically uh, time, uh, and I had to leave Kenya because I didn't have a visa. So I had a month to find a job and get out of Kenya. So I phoned Mr. Seti and I said, "Listen." Um, if you still want me to come and work for you. And he gave me a title of, uh, uh, I was cricket operations manager. And I ended up in, I went straight from Kenya to, to Dubai. And uh, he gave me an apartment there, a little car. And I was coaching and helping him with operations and tours. And I also got uh, Gary Kirsten to come and do a clinic for them. Uh, I got Jonty to come and do a clinic for them. So, you know, that was quite nice for Max Dallin to get these famous players doing uh, coaching for them. And then uh, I went off on my uh, – first I went off on my own and I started my own setup there. I didn't really have an academy as such. I did a lot of private coaching, uh, one-on-ones. But what I did, I, I, I got my own company called Pro Coach. And I sort of thought I'm going to do something different from the academies because of my network of ex-cricketers. What I'm going to do is just sort of every two, three months, I would have a master class. And I would bring one of these uh, well-known South African cricketers in for two or three days and do a master class. And then kids could enroll for that master class. So that was a quite a new concept. After I'd started that, now all the academies in Dubai, and there's over 30 cricket academies, so all doing it, they do these master classes with ex players. But I got uh, John T did about two master classes for me, Gary did three, uh, Daryl Cullen did one for me, Merrick Pringle did one. So uh, I used to get these South Africans in, and then uh, I think I got quite a lot of publicity because of this. It was in all the newspapers and it, it even got onto television in Dubai. And then I was approached by the gem schools, the Varki group. They've got 76 uh, gem schools in Dubai. And they said they wanted to start their own gem schools cricket academy across all their schools in Dubai. And they asked me to be the director of that academy and to set it up. So I was employed by, by the GEMS group in the schools to set up a, a, a GEMS. I called it the ESM, uh, Cricket Academy. 
And uh, we had a fantastic launch. I, I through one of my parents had a very close friendship with Ashwin, the Indian spinner. And Ashwin at that time, actually it was, I'll tell you yeah. that now. So I, through the father, uh, Ramesh, I, they were at school together and they were very close friends. So he put me directly into contact with Ashwin and uh, he asked Ashwin to come and launch my academy, the official opening of the academy. So as Ashwin was on the plane flying into from, from Chennai into Dubai, at that when he was on the plane, it was announced by the ICC that he was elected uh, Test Cricketer of the Year. Um, and he also... Um, was at that time then that the new rankings out and he was the number one ranked bowler in the world and also the number one ranked all-rounder. So two of the three positions, and I think Kohli uh, was the, the the number one ranked batter, but Ashwin had two of the the, the positions, you know, as in, in the rankings, bowler, uh, bowler, best bowler and best all-rounder. So Ashwin arrived and it was something out of a movie. It was like a, it was like Bollywood comes to Dubai. Uh, we had to get extra security guards for him when he did these. Yeah, he did a, a, a basically a one-day clinic at the one school, and we had the press and everyone. But literally thousands of the Asian community, the people in Dubai from that Dera area where it's mostly the Asians are, are based there, and they came in their cars and they we had outside the school. It looked like we had a pop concert. The cars were lined up and people tried to break through and get over the fence and break through the security guards to get to Ashwin. Uh, I, I've never seen anything like that. And this was, uh, only then did I realize <laughs> that these Indian players are absolutely gods in, in India. They, they just went crazy. And uh, Ashwin did that launch for us and he was phenomenal. He was so good with the kids. And then, uh, so our academy... Uh, got off on, a, on a, off to a, to a fantastic start. It was sort of a first for Dubai. And then after about uh, a year, eight months with them, uh, one of the schools approached me, uh, King's Albasha. It's also one of your top private schools. And they were, uh, the headmaster was a gentleman called uh, Mr. Alan Williamson. He was Scottish. He was more a rugby lover, but he then said they really want to go for sport at the school, promote sport. And they got Henry Paul, the ex um, England centre international player to become the director of rugby and they offered me the position of director of cricket in the school and they said they'll make me part of, I'm a qualified PE teacher, part of the PE staff, but I'll also be then director of the King School Cricket Academy. So I'll have a dual, well, I almost had three three uh, uh, functions in the school and that really appealed to me because I had complete you know I could run cricket on my own because even at the gym schools I had to report to their sort of head of sport and and sometimes my ideas on cricket he wasn't really a cricket person he was a football guy and he didn't quite share my vision on the academy so uh, I thought at King's uh, you know Mr. Richard uh, Mr. Williams said you, you you run cricket. Nobody's going to interfere. So and they they in my first year there they built four state of the art uh, outdoor cricket nets. It was really up to international standard. They had two indoor nets also the the best in Dubai after the ICC uh, academy setup. And uh, you know they were really serious on their cricket. So I, I I was there for for about a year and I then got the idea. I thought after you know you had to do something different 
because there's already 30 cricket academies in Dubai and Desert Cups is your best academy. It's run by a guy called Presley. He's a, a Sri Lankan cricketer. He, he played Sri Lanka under 19 cricket and then became a coach because of injuries, but he would have played international cricket. So he really knows the game. And Desert Cups, all the coaches are, are uh, Sri Lankans and they've got about 800 kids in the academy. And they're very well organized. But some of your other cricket academies in Dubai, it's just the money making. You know, the coaches are not properly qualified and they just make money. It, it's become a business. So I thought I have to do something different in Dubai. So I contacted Ashwin again. And I said, Ashwin, Ashwin has got a, well, officially he's not allowed as an Indian test cricketer. His contract doesn't allow him to run an academy of his own in, in Chennai. So he set up an academy with his father. And his father is the owner of the academy. It's called GenX, but Ashwin is sort of a mentor. So Ashwin, whenever he's not playing test cricket, he's down at his um, academy coaching the kids and that. Uh, Ashwin has got a passion for coaching. So I contacted Ashwin and I actually got one of the top management guys at, um, at King's School to fly down with me and th that father that introduced me to him, Ramesh. So the school paid for the three of us and he flew down to Chennai and uh, we spent the day with Ashwin at his house. I met his wife, his two little daughters, and we had lunch there. And uh, Ashwin is just phenomenal. And I asked him, should we, would you be interested if we set up a, a Gen X Kings uh, uh, Cricket Academy at our school? And that would get you into a presentation in Dubai as well. And Ashwin loved the idea. So uh, we did a joint venture. And uh, Ashwin came down also for the launch of that academy. Uh, we then had the uh, Gen X Kings Cricket Academy at our school. And Ashwin came down uh, every sort of three months when he had an opening in between test cricket. Ashwin would come down for two days and coach at the academy. He came down for the launch as well. <laughs> and uh, he, he gave us all his coaching manuals and we were working very closely with his coaches that he used in Chennai. So um, that, that was sort of the academy there. And then, uh, yeah, and then I, I was in Dubai for four years and I loved that time at Kings. And I just sort of felt after about two years, it's, it's time to move on. Um, and I, I, I wanted a new challenge. And that's sort of where I'm now. I came down to Kiev for a holiday. I had a five-day break over Christmas and I thought let me I just got a cheap flight and the cheapest flight I could get was to to uh, Kiev yeah. and obviously in in over Christmas it was snowing here and I thought you know I've had four years of heat and and outside in the sun every day in in Dubai let me go to somewhere nice and cold where there's a bit of snow and then it's a different kind of climate and it will be an adventure so I arrived in Kiev I didn't have a clue I've never been to an Eastern European country and I arrived in Kiev and, uh, you know, it was snowing and I was walking with boots in the snow and I had the five days here and I fell in love with Kiev. I just thought, what an amazing city, the energy and it's something totally different from anything I've ever experienced. And uh, about a month later, I, I decided to, to make the move and I moved down to Kiev. Uh, no cricket here, nobody knows, they don't know who... Donald Bradman was. They don't know who Garfield Sobers was. Uh, they, people actually don't know the game of cricket at all in, in, in Ukraine. Uh, there's, a, there's some Asian players that's studying here. 
that's playing cricket, uh, quite a big community. And they play informal cricket. You know, wherever the Asians go, they will play cricket. So the Pakistanis, Bangladeshis and Indian medical students, a lot of there's over 10,000 Indian medical students at universities in Ukraine. So um, they obviously come from India and, and Pakistan. So they play cricket and uh, they play sort of informal cricket, but there's nothing structured. So I then uh, I started I had to work here and I, I got into one of the top schools teaching English at a big private school here. And uh, I introduced a cricket program there. I spoke to the directors and convinced them. So I had to get there's no kit here. So I paid it for myself and I got two sets of mini cricket kit, the, the, the softball and plastic bats. Uh, I think in, in, in England they call it quick cricket uh, and in, uh, in Australia it's Milo cricket. So uh, I got this, I, I bought the equipment online and I got it, uh, I used a courier to bring it in from London and I started a cricket program at my school and the kids just absolutely loved it. And then uh, I spoke to Mr. Shambhatya in Dubai and uh, I asked him, could he's, he's got a, a charity uh, cricket uh, set up there called uh, Cricket for Care. And every year he donates quite uh, apparently close to a million dollars of cricket kit to, to countries all over the world that's developing cricket. So he's, he's done donations in Japan, uh, Papua New Guinea. And that's, I actually met him in Kenya. He donated 50 sets of cricket kit to Kenya to use in the schools. So, and that's when I gave him, I donated my 800 cricket books to him. So I, I became very good friends with him in Dubai. And I then asked him, would he donate some cricket kit to, uh, to, 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 for me to start a cricket program in Ukraine. And he donated five sets of mini cricket kit, which he paid for the courier, everything, and they delivered it to the school. So I've, got, I've now got seven sets of cricket kit. And, you know, mini cricket, I can play with, with 70 kits in, in, at one time. So I'm starting a cricket program now in Ukraine. I've already had meetings with the Indian ambassador here for support from the Indian community. And I spoke to um, Andy Hobbs, who's the development manager for Europe uh, at the ICC. And my dream now, and that would be the biggest achievement ever in my time in cricket, is to get, uh, to get Ukraine to become an affiliate member of the ICC where we can play against um, other affiliates like Israel, Spain, and play in proper uh, ICC tournaments and also get funding and support from the ICC. So Andy Hobbs is, is uh, assisting me in this from the ICC side. And then uh, I'm starting off here my program with the Indian community to set up a, a cricket league and, you know, especially mini cricket for their kids to start developing cricket with the youngsters. Yeah. And it's a fantastic challenge. And I absolutely love every minute of it because it's something completely new. It's, it's new territory. You know, wherever I've been before, there's been a cricket culture, Kenya, Dubai, South Africa, England, Scotland, kids that plays cricket. Yeah, it's something totally new. I'm, I'm starting from zero and I'm, I'm loving every minute of it. So that's now my new life and my new challenge in, in Ukraine. That's fantastic, Corbus. Um, Corbus, it's been a pleasure talking with you. It was a fantastic two episode chats that we had. And I hope we can have you on once no, again in the future. Much. It's been an absolute pleasure. And, and what I really hope is to, 
get a message across to some young cricketers and, and inspire young cricketers that you don't necessarily have to be a top cricketer. You don't have to be a first-class cricketer or a test cricketer to, to make a, a, a good living and a career out of cricket. Even if you're an average cricketer, but you have a passion for the game and, and you love cricket, you can, you can, I've, I've, I was a very average cricketer, but I had an unbelievable career and, and a life of, you know, I'm, I'm 59 now. And uh, I started cricket playing, uh, playing cricket at the age of six. So I had, I had like more, 53 years in cricket where I've, I've lived in three, uh, I've lived in three continents. I've, I've lived in seven countries. Uh, I've literally traveled the world. Uh, Denmark, all these places, and Africa, living in, in Nairobi, living in Dubai, now in Eastern Europe, and all because of cricket, uh, just because I had this passion and love for cricket. So I hope, really hope I can inspire some youngsters to understand that if you love the game and you have a passion for the game, you could actually make a living out of uh, cricket, being involved in the game as administrator, coach, a player, um, there's so many ways to be involved in cricket. So I really hope this this is, has inspired some youngsters a bit. But thank you so much for the opportunity, Mo. It was an absolute pleasure speaking to you. Yeah, the pleasure is all mine, Corbus. Best of luck thank in you your very future endeavors with the Ukraine cricket team. Vancouver. Nice to be here. Bye, Mo. Bye. You're listening to Crick Talk 20, North America's first cricket e-magazine and podcast with your host, Mo Zubair.